Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is the word of God. Michael, welcome, brother. I'm going to swap microphones. You can have this one. Plug that on your shirt. Hello. In the wrong spot. Okay. I'll, I'll shout, well, I've, you've got me now, so just tell me if you don't hear me anyway. <laughs> oh, it's good to be back here, um, but you changed everything. I, I came in and I'm sort of running into a brick wall and something else, and um, it's my fault, I should come more often. Um, we, we were back two years ago in Australia, and with the kids getting into high school, we, we couldn't take our six-month furloughs because they're in the middle of um, finishing finals and things like that. So uh, eight weeks is just not long enough to get around and see all our friends scattered everywhere. Um, our apologies, but um, we've learnt one thing in Papua New Guinea. We've learnt many things in Papua New Guinea, but community is important. Um, friends are important. Relationship is more important than a lot of things. In, in Australia, we always say, oh, I've got to get the job done, and we might have to crack some heads to do it, but at least I've got the job done. In Papua New Guinea, it's the opposite. Had a good day, I kept all my relationships. I couldn't do my job because I had to keep my relationships good. And um, it, it was a challenge to us. Jesus came to fix relationships. Relationships are important to him too. Um, so we're really glad to be back here. And yeah, they did grow. We kept on feeding the, the kids and I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, my oldest now, uh, we'll go through it later, but he's... Uh, He's driving and he's at uni and, and uh, I'm teaching my second to drive now. So I didn't have to drive on the way here today. Uh, just pray, that's all I had to do. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Alicia. <laughs> um, you've come to hear from the word of the Lord and to be fed. And that's the number one thing um, of why we meet. We meet for each other's company, but we actually come hungry and, and expecting. And today I'm going to jump into this passage. I, I love finding passages that um, the Bible is full of mission but not your typical Matthew 28. I'd love to, to jump into something else and because you'll find mission is there. Mission is all the way through the Bible. Um, and I'll go through the passage. You might even want to keep your Bible open at the time as we go through it. The birth of Jesus uh, comes first in the book of Matthew. So this, this reading is very early. You've got the birth of Jesus and all, all our classic um, Christmas stories and then the baptism of Jesus and then um, the testing of Jesus when he, when he goes into the wilderness. Um, and his ministry is just about to start. So this is where this, this reading comes. Um, now there's a quote in there that, that comes from Isaiah 9, 1 to 2. And um, straight away you realise Matthew, he just floods his book with quotes from the Old Testament. Because he's trying to say, hey, you Jews, you're looking for this guy. I'm going to tell you who he is. This is your scriptures. You believe your scriptures. And all the way through, you'll find he, he just crams it full of um, Old Testament um, passages. <coughs> So he grabs one from Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. And this is a Messianic passage um, that, that's written about 700 years before Christ. It's, it's a long time. 
um, before he comes. And it predicts about this Messiah to come. They're all expecting a Messiah. They're not quite sure what this Messiah is going to be, but they're expecting him. Um, and the passage goes on to say things uh, like in Isaiah 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. Um, so it, it draws the reader's attention that, hey, this, is, this could be the, the Messiah we're looking for. Land of Zebulun and Naphtali. Um, there should be, I might actually uh, jump onto the map there. Um, when we were younger, we did have the privilege of going around um, Israel and, and looking at places. So these places, actually look them up. They're real places. They're really there. The names change over years because different um, uh, people move in, but it's there. Uh, it's to the east of the Sea of Galilee, and Capernaum's a town in this area. It's on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Peter had a house there, which Jesus based his extended ministry in the area from that house. Nowadays, there's actually uh, there's some ruins that they say is Peter's house. Maybe it is, probably is. And they've got a, uh, it looks like a spaceship they built on top of it with legs so they don't actually affect the ruins, but it's right on top of that place. Um, Jesus did most of his public ministry in this region around the Sea of Galilee. Um, it's a long way from Jerusalem, a long way from the temple and the religious influences of, of um, Jerusalem. Um, so it's considered a pagan land, um, a land of the Gentiles and unbelievers. Um, Nazareth, too, is, is to the east of that Sea of Galilee. Between there and the main uh, sea is, is Nazareth. And in Jesus' time, to be a Nazarene was to be despised. Um, nowadays, we say, hey, bring it on. You know, he's a Nazarene. We sang it this morning. You know, Jesus is a Nazarene. Yeah, you wouldn't have said that back in Jesus' time. You, that was to be despised. So it was an area of darkness, they said, and, um, and uh, Gentiles. So Jesus, who is the Jew, comes in this Gentile area. And straight away, we should be twigged on, uh, on mission. What is going on here? He comes not to Jerusalem. He's not born in, uh, in the temple or living in the temple. They say he comes from um, Nazareth and does his ministry in this area. The thing that jumped at me in this passage is light. Um, light, I'm, I'm not going to pretend to cover all aspects of light in, in a sermon today. Light's a very big topic. You probably know a lot of songs uh, that we sing all the time. Um, uh, Lord, the light of your love is shining. Um, uh, go hold your candle. Um, Jesus wants me for a sunbeam. And you probably all other ones are jumping into your mind now. And when you start to think about it, there's a lot of light. Um, us Christians too, we often talk in jargon and we all say it. We say, yeah, yeah, and then we think, what does that actually mean? don't really know. We've just always said it, so we'll keep saying it. Um, it's full of a lot of meaning, the, the word light. So I'm going to go into it a bit. A church that we worshipped a lot in, in Papua New Guinea was um, Evangelical Brotherhood Church, and it's a Swiss-backed uh, um, church. It's, it's, uh, they use the slogan, Jesus emulate, Jesus is the light. Uh, is, is what they used. And that's what they considered the most important message they wanted to give to people coming to their church. Jesus is the light. Um, so I'm going to dig into this uh, light a bit and we'll, we'll look around a bit more in some of the scriptures and see uh, what we can learn about the light. Um, so I'll be jumping over. I'll just read it to you. John chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus says, I am. Um, when uh, Moses said to God, well, who should I say sent me? God says, I am. Now, once again, to a Jew, you don't say that. He has just claimed to be God. 
by, by that invoking that um, I am uh, uh, sentence. That's that that's got kick for a Jew. They can't miss it straight away. They know what's going on. This guy said he's God, um, and he he says um, I am the light of the world. God is the light of the world, and he is actually. They just couldn't recognise it. Um, but what does it mean? We've, we've, uh, it's quite clear Jesus claims to be the light. Um, John chapter 9, he claims to be the light while healing a man born blind. Uh, John chapter 9 verse 5, um, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. And so the man went and washed and came home seeing. And later he explains to the blind man why he came into the world. Uh, Jesus says back down in 39, verse 39, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. So you've got this passage about um, I'm, in, I'm the light of the world, straight away talking about blindness and, and uh, healing this man who's blind. It's about spiritual blindness. This light brings vision to people. Uh, and that, that's what light does too. It, you can see what's happening. So it's removing spiritual blindness. Uh, that is what one aspect of what light does. Um, and it's quite interesting. Um, the Pharisees are the ones who are meant to be the ones with the vision. And they're called the blind ones. Um, the people you expect would be spiritually leading. Um, Jesus also goes on and talks about his disciples, calling them salt and light. Um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. How does that make you feel? <laughs> He's saying this to his disciples. Um, you are to shine light. We are to shine light. That's what we're meant to do. Um, the way I think about it is um, the moon reflects the sun, but it still gives light. You can still see by, by that light. Um, light is life and darkness is spiritual death. Um, so we'll, we'll go down into another passage, John chapter 1, verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's quite interesting. Light, from what I've, I've read, is never defined as righteousness or good works. And that was a bit of a challenge when I read that. Um, it is defined as life. Um, if you follow the light, you'll have life, eternal life, spiritual life, and a worthwhile life in this world and the next. And darkness is not committing the acts of sin, it's rather rejecting God's message of eternal life. So the darkness is the absence of light and refers to a spiritual death. Um, and we get this wrong, I think, quite often in our world today. Uh, we get confused with the acts of, of good deeds and um, Jesus as as light. Uh, you, you watch a movie and the hero, he's doing everything right. He's fantastic. Um, and when he dies, where does he go? Straight to heaven. 
Was he a Christian? No. Did you ever did you ever see him in the movie portraying that he was a Christian? No. Where's he going? Oh, straight to heaven. Why? Because he did good jobs. No, I'm sorry. Heaven is going to be full. Uh, hell is going to be full of nice people. That you should straight away feel a burden as soon as you hear that. We always think hell's going to be full of those people. Uh, you take them out of uh, whichever penitentiary they're in and you just place them straight into hell. No, it's going to be full of a lot of really nice people. Um, hell, and that's sad. We should be grieved just as God is grieved with that. That should spur us onto mission um, when um, when people pass on and um, they're not in heaven with us. That, that's a sad thing. Um, but... Uh, you may ask, Michael, <laughs> you just read a passage, uh, Matthew 5:16. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Isn't good deeds the light? Kind of. Um, I found an article by Don Carson quite helpful. Um, and he says, rather the light is the good deeds performed by Jesus' followers, performed in such a way that at least some men will recognise these followers as Jesus' Uh, of Jesus as sons of God and come to praise this Father whose sons they are. The good deeds we do must point people to Christ and then they are. They are light. Um, good deeds done in other ways that don't point people to Christ I don't think are the light. Um, certainly God influences non-Christians as much as Christians. He is the God of everything. We don't cut up the, our world into the sacred and secular um, but the Red Crescent, I don't think, puts people, points people to Christ. Um, they're good deeds, and I could go on and mention a lot of others. I work with a lot of NGOs in Papua New Guinea uh, doing good things. Um, Save the Children, Care, Oxfam. They're doing good things. I encourage it. I work with them. But people aren't coming to know Christ. And the light is knowing the way home, is knowing how to get salvation, is pointing to Jesus. And that's when our... our um, Good deeds become light. Uh, I did a bit of caving when I was younger. I uh, did a little bit a week or two ago as well um, with the kids. And I remember one cave we went into with a friend. Um, it was down at Bungonia and we got into this cave. It was fairly safe. There were no big holes anywhere. Um, and we got in and my friend said, right, everybody turn your lights off and try and get out of the cave. And you always go into a cave with two or three forms of light. You'll have your headlamp and then you might have a glow stick or another uh, lamp because if you lose your light, you're in trouble. You have to have some sort of an emergency packet of matches or something. Otherwise, you're, you're in trouble. You need the light. Um, so before I turned my light off, I looked and I thought, yeah, there's a rock over there and there's something. I think I can get there. I'll just feel my way along. And we turned our lights off and within 10 seconds, I didn't know it was like going this way or that way. Or I think half of us got out of the cave and the other half didn't. It's almost impossible to find your way home without light. Um, it will be very hard to find salvation in Christ without something that points you there or shines light onto that path uh, to salvation. How are we going to be that salt and light to people around us? Um, and on our doorstep in Australia today, um, I can do it in Papua New Guinea. I don't know how to do it in Australia. You're going to have to show me. that You guys have got the hardest job. Um, but I, coming back from Papua New Guinea, we've been up there 14 years, uh, things hit us. We, we notice because we're jumping a couple of years at a time and we come back and uh, things like coffee, everybody makes coffee a different way. Every time we come back, there's a pod machine out or there's something else going out. Um, and so we, we notice things. Um, Australia is not in a great 
situation. And I think you'd know that. We, we heard a prayer about that this morning. I'll give you a bit of a history lesson. Um, hold with me. Hold, yeah, hold, hold this train of thought. I'm going somewhere. Um, Christianity probably came to England, I'm guessing, not long after the death of Christ and his resurrection. You, you've got a Roman centurion at the, the foot of the cross. Probably the word started to get out, I don't know, maybe in the 50 years after. Paul was trying to get to Spain. We, we don't know if he got there or not, but certainly Rome. Um, anyway, um, certainly by 313, Emperor Constantine comes along and declares that Rome is now Christian. And Christianity certainly would have been in England. Um, now that went well for, for a fair while. And England actually sent missionaries out to Ireland and Scotland and other places as well. Um, to, re to Christianise those places. And then the Germans thought, well, well, we want a bit of land too, so we'll come and take over England. So the Saxons come in about 100 years later and they wipe out Christianity on the eastern side of England. Um, there's not a lot of uh, writings from this time, but that's, that's what the historians are saying. Um, so uh, about 100 years or, or so later, around the 500 stage um, or later, um, Christianity is going really well in Ireland. And there's monasteries everywhere. So they're launching missions out. They've got um, a monastery at Iona up near Scotland, and then it starts coming down, and, and they're re-Christianising back into England. And at the same time, you've got the Pope sends a, a person over there too to, to re-Christianise England. Ireland got its faith from England. Ireland re-Christianises its papa. And that really struck me um, because we've been in Papua New Guinea now for a long time. Australia sent thousands of missionaries to Papua New Guinea and Christianity is alive in Papua New Guinea. There's still a spiritual battle, um, incredible battle going on, but it's certainly alive. Um, and Papua New Guinea is starting to think of sending missionaries and I'm thinking we need missionaries to come to Australia. Um, we need help. Wouldn't it be amazing if Papua New Guinea re-Christianises its papa? Um, and it's just a, a thought that came to me. I, God has invested so much into Papua New Guinea, he's got a special plan. Oh, there's no doubt about that. They say it's an uh, island of gold floating on oil and gas and trees and fish, like so much. And there's never been a country that's had as many missionaries as Papua New Guinea. He's invested, I think when he finished making the world, he said, oh, I've got all this left over. You get it, Papua New Guinea. I don't know what to do with it. You get it. Um, cultures, languages, no, there's no country with as many languages in the world as Papua New Guinea. He will be expecting big things from Papua New Guinea. And maybe part of that role is to help re-Christianise the West because things are not going well in the West. Uh, Papua New Guinea is sending missionaries already. Um, EBC that we went to has a missionary in East Timor, uh, another one in China, uh, over in West Papua. They're, they're sending. They're still not really knowing how to do it, but they're, they're trying. And uh, other churches too are starting to send missionaries outside their border. Um, so that's my dream, that's my hope, um, is that that happens. Uh, how do we do it here? I, I'd feel a bit embarrassed. I want them to come and help, but this is my ground. This is my backyard. It's my responsibility. I should be doing it. Um, I found in Papua New Guinea too, quite often we think of mission as over that mountain or over that hill or down that valley. And we step on the people at our doorstep to get over that hill and that, that valley. Um, we had some criminal attacks in the last two years. It's been an incredible time of good and bad. Um, and we're thinking, what is going on here? Just unrelenting uh, waves of criminal activity against us. Um, and I thought, people here don't know who we are, what we're doing. You, you don't touch missionaries in Papua New Guinea um, or missions. You, you just don't do it. 
there's a change in culture coming along too with the youth. They, they've, they've forgot the time of the key ups and missionaries, but still it's, they, they usually have a respect. And I thought, we're not reaching them. We're not telling the people on our doorstep who we are. So we launched out with a family film festival for a whole week, every night. We had a different uh, Christian movie on our doorstep in the, in the Rotary Park, just opposite. Uh, and we got all the churches in the area to take a night each. We would set everything up and we'd just say, come and do a quick devotion or something before we start the movie. We were neg neglecting those on our doorstep. And I think when we think about heaven, the first mission is with yourself. <laughs> You've got to get yourself into heaven. Then you've got to get your family into heaven and then those around you uh, as well and spread our, our area of influence wider and wider. PNG was known as the Dark Island. Um, it was full of cannibalism, um, animism, and, and fear and fighting was everywhere. It was the last island in the region where missionaries went to. They picked off all the little islands first, but coming to mainland PNG, they didn't want to touch it. It was, it was a dangerous place. Um, and it was a dark place. Uh, and you've got 1891, the London Missionary Society comes near Port Moresby. And um, there's a little bit of debate too whether uh, Fijians and others actually came a bit earlier than that. Our area in the Highlands was sort of discovered in the 1930s, so it's sort of the 1940s when Christians started coming, uh, missionaries started coming into that area. The people living in darkness have seen a great light, and the light has shone into Papua New Guinea. How will we bring the light to those on our doorstep in Australia today? And that's the challenge I'll leave you with. And I'm fighting with this one at the moment. I know how to do it in Papua New Guinea. Australia, it's, it's a dry, very dry land, uh, spiritually as well as um, with the weather. I'll leave that with you. And we wanted to uh, just update you a little bit now on um, where our family's at. We won't talk too much about the mission because we've been here a number of times talking about the mission and, and it's we've come back, they say, come back finished now. We've, we've left PNG with a one-way ticket and so we'll just update you of where we're at. Um, the timing seemed right. Um, how do you know it's the call of God? Sometimes you do. Sometimes you use logic. Sometimes we, we tell God what to do and <laughs> we're going the wrong way. But everything did seem to line up. We saw this coming a few years in advance. And um, at the moment, uh, I've grown Papua New Guinean leaders. While I'm there, they couldn't grow any further. I had to get out of the way. And the guy that I trained is now the general manager of CRMF because I'm, I'm out. And everybody else rippled up in, in the, the chain of command too. So it's been really exciting. For me to go back now would damage that and push everything backwards. Um, our kids are at an age and stage where they need to learn, are they Papua New Guinean? If they don't come back now, they won't. They'll stay in Papua New Guinea. And if you asked any of us now, we would be on a plane tomorrow back to Papua New Guinea. But we know it would be wrong. We, this is the time to be here. Um, for what? I have no idea. <laughs> but I'll get the family to come up and we'll just talk briefly a bit about that anyway, of where we're at as a family. Hey, all pick me. Come. I'll I'll go and click some slides. We'll move through pretty fast. <laughs> <laughs> this one works okay, John. Uh, thank you for a bit of time this morning to tell you what we're up to. Um, we've been up there in PNG for 14 years. 
except for this one who always says, I'm only 12, I've only been there 12 years. But that's okay. Um, so, uh, Michael, click. <laughs> that's our CRMF team. And we um, A couple of years ago we had a big celebration because we've been up there a fair while, but um, that's the team and their families, and uh, they're our family. And so we just wanted to give you a quick update on what's happening, um, what CRMF is, in case you forgot. Now, I noticed in the thing that it says MAF, and that is true, we are MAF, CRMF. In PNG, we're CRMF. Around the world, we're MAF. We just come under the headship of MAF. Um, so what was CRMF? It was supplying communications uh, to people in the bush. We're remote, we look after the remote people, any way we can. So we do radio, listen to the radio, help people. We do medivacs um, over the radio, help get MAF in to um, medical, medically evacuate people who are in the bush. Um, we would do phone patches when they don't have a mobile phone that works. We do solar projects to help people in the bush have power. Um, Michael's newest thing were these solar vaccine fridges so that uh, people, uh, clinics out in the bush could keep their vaccines cold. Um, we designed websites for people, for organ Christian organisations in PNG because Papua New Guineans get, are getting the hang of their mobile phones pretty quickly. So um, we're, uh, we're helping design those. And we have lots of technicians fixing computers, radios, um, anything that people need fixed to keep their clinics open, to keep their radios working, to keep the MAF airstrips going. That's what we did. Um, our newer area is more into spreading the gospel. So we have uh, Wi-Fi Bibles, so uh, Papua New Guineans could download on their mobile phones uh, anything, uh, all sorts of biblical things, the Bible, the Jesus video, um, Christian music. We even put these little Wi-Fi Bibles on um, in buses, public buses, so people could sit down there and download everything onto their phones. Uh, and we run training courses for how to use computers for pastors, so pastors can do um, use help that Excel spreadsheets, help to look after their budget and help them to run their churches a little better. So you name it, technically we did it. Michael's already said, why did we come back? You might notice, I think, that you know they've kind of grown. <laughs> uh, Josh has been back studying for a year. Um, and Alicia is now about to start off, head off to university next year. And we didn't want to be split apart as a family. We decided as a family we didn't want half of us in PNG and half of us here. So it was time to come back and, and uh, support our kids. They didn't get choose to go, but we ch let them choose when to come back. So, uh, And Josh was just going to say a little bit really quickly about uh, how your prayers have helped him in the last year or so. Hey everyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I want to thank you all for your prayers over the past few years. Um, as my mum said, I came back here to Australia about a year ago, and um, it was yeah, it was a bit of a little bit of a tough time for me. Um, for about the first two or three days, it didn't really fully sink in for me because like, I'd just come from a holiday in Rabaul. We hit the capital of Port Moresby in Papua New Guinea. Then I headed south and all these guys headed back north to um, Garoka where we've been living. And um, from there I went to Cairns and spent a couple of days with one of my good friends down there and um, then flew down to Melbourne after that. And the night 
I got back to my grandparents' farm, I sat down, unzipped my suitcase, flipped the lid open, and then just sat there crying over my suitcase, because that's when it really hit me. I was going to have to make Australia my home. Papua New Guinea wasn't my home anymore. Um, and so, yeah, it was a little bit hard for the first um, little while, but um, thanks to your prayers and a bit of help from the Lord and my grandparents, I was able to figure out Australian culture a little bit. <laughs> then um, it's a crazy place. <laughs> um, but, yeah, then um, I looked at a few universities that following August and September and um, yeah, filled in my VTAC applications and um, put down a few of them and one of those was Deakin University in Melbourne and I actually figured I probably wouldn't be able to get in there, I didn't think my grades would be good enough. Um, but anyway, first round offers came out and there was an offer from Deakin University. And so I was trying to juggle between Deakin in Melbourne or another one in Bendigo. And um, my mum got a text message from my great auntie Glenda. And um, she said, if Josh needs a room and if he's going to be stu or studying at Deakin, we can give him a room. But they, di like, they didn't even know that I had gotten an offer for Deakin. Um, and so we saw the Lord kind of lining that one up for me and um, a couple of the other pieces were starting to click together and so yeah, you could definitely see the Lord's hand at work there get settling me into uni and um, I managed to get plugged in pretty easy to the local Christian union and the local church there as well so yeah, I just want to thank you guys again for all your prayers like God really has been at work and it's because you guys have been praying for me uh, <laughs> I don't know if you saw that huge bowl of food in that picture. He was expected by our Papua New Guinean family to eat all of that himself. <laughs> that was, that was he, yeah, he nearly didn't know. <laughs> There's like three chickens in there and, and his mate was supposed to help him eat it, but they sort of, yeah, obviously. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Michael. Uh, so the last two years we've been just preparing to leave. We, we knew it was time. So uh, Michael had opportunities that he'd never had before to speak about uh, the evils of pornography in Bible colleges, uh, speak to the EBC church about coaching, lots of things. And we did things like uh, set up housing for all our staff, our national staff, because it was getting pretty hard to find housing. So we had that. Um, Michael helped, got built plenty of accommodation so our staff at CRMF will have somewhere to stay. Uh, we had uh, some pretty rough times, Michael said, with break-ins and things so we beefed up our security, got some really uh, good dogs and solar power uh, so that all our security lights and alarms would work all through the night. That's him and his mate setting off the solar, they were a bit worried it was going to blow up I think. But. <laughs> Um, so we've solarised the workshop, so if the power goes off, then we can still keep working. Um, or if the power blows up a few computers because it's overloaded, which happens a little bit, that's not going to happen anymore. We have solar power. Um, we got a new website for CRMF up and running. What else did we do, Michael? And the, yes, Michael was mentioning about Brian running CRMF now. Uh, this is him and his wife here. We had a weekend away preparing for transitions, trying to prepare our staff to work uh, underneath Brian. So if you could uh, think of him in your prayers because he's the first 
Papua New Guinean to run CRMF, but not only that, in the international organisation of MAF, he's the first national in any of the place, countries in, a, in the world to be running a, a mission under MAF. So uh, please pray for him. We're hoping he will be a bit of salt, a Papua New Guinean salt and light into the MAF organisation as well, just changing, uh, putting a third world perspective into it. So that's exciting. And we did this thing called raft, and if you don't mind us taking a bit more time, Alyssa will explain that. Um, so uh, our school always teaches us at the end of each year how to kind of transition back to our passport countries. And so raft was one of the things that they taught us. Um, it's an acronym. The R stands for reconciliation. A is affirmation. F is farewells. And T is think destination. So basically what that means is um, reconciliation and affirmation go hand in hand. Um, you need to make sure that all your friends know that you still want to be friends, you still care for them, and um, you also need to make sure that any broken relationships that you have, that you repair those and, um, yeah, basically that you don't really leave any loose ends, that um, everyone that you know knows that you still care for them, but you have to leave. Um, and so um, quite often you'll do a specific thing with a specific friend to kind of just say farewell, um, that's the F, and yeah, make sure that they know, yeah, I do still care for you. I went out, um, I made sure that I spent a day with each of my friends individually, one-on-one, -on -one. Um, just to kind of say farewell and then think destination is to kind of think what it's going to be like in Australia so um, yeah it was preparing for flat roads, yeah, for flat roads. <laughs> um, you're not flying half the way to school through the potholes you're actually driving um, and what type of car will you be on the way to what type of car will you be on on the way to school, we're not going to be in our little blue bus anymore. We might be on a real school bus, on a train. So, yeah, that's the raft. So that little blue bus we had for 14 years, the whole time we were there. I love that little blue bus. <laughs> um, so I had, to, I had to grieve the loss of my bus because I loved that thing. <laughs> um, and that card too beside it, if you see the expiry date, it said 2007. And I got it the day I arrived, and I used it until the day we left. It was my debit card. <laughs> I was too scared to give it up because I may not get another one, so I just kept it. Anyway, I had to grieve the loss of that, which was very strange. Um, so, yeah, we did raft, and Michael went on adventures. He went on bike rides. I got to spend a weekend away with some of my best friends. We just went out bush together, and it was uh, difficult to say goodbye. We spoke in all the churches that we went to. This is a Lutheran one that we would sometimes visit, and... Um, said farewell. Our, our staff did a very large farewell for us, which was amazing, and they put banners up and decorated the place and killed a pig or two and, uh, yeah, said farewell. That was, we made it hurt for all the right reasons, but we're very blessed that we got to say goodbye. Uh, yeah, I have a thing for children, obviously. <laughs> They're all my babies yeah. there. <laughs> but the, the main reason we wanted to come today is to just... Um, say thank you. We haven't always been coming here and seeing you guys, but you've, you've remembered us and uh, been faithful in prayers. And not many people get to leave the mission field sort of on their own terms. 
uh, without an emergency or a rush or something happening to bring us home and we managed to the Lord allowed us to come back in our own way so thank you for your prayers and for your support uh, over the years yeah, thank you. Oh, sorry and we're okay <laughs> that's what that one says um, yeah maybe we'll go back in the mission field one day the kids are, we found a school for the kids we found a house we just got to find work so if you could think of that a new calling is what we're after right now so yeah now I'm done I promise thank you <laughs> Thank you for your prayers because your prayers are got good friends. And I say thank you for all your prayer and support because then I was able to have some really good PNG friends and yeah, it was really fun. So thank you for your prayers and support. Special thanks to Michael and Rachel and the, and the children. Up again and see all the growth and everybody. And we'll definitely be praying that you find the right kind of work too. And you've got an incredible skill set. And I'm sure that the Lord will find a, a new place for you as well.